Welcome to the Shari Tzedek Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Here you'll find a live recording of just about every sermon, Devar Torah, teaching, or story from our Arab Shabbat and High Holy Day services. We know that you wish you could be with us more often, and we understand life getting in the way is not a bad thing. To live Jewishly is to understand that just as important as it is that Judaism happens in the synagogue, it's even more important to live Jewishly in your home and on your way. So here we are, in your home, on your way, maybe even on your morning run. If you ever have any questions or want to continue the discussion, let one of us know, and make sure you check out our live stream and YouTube channel for more ways that Shari Tzedek is available to you on demand. Keep an eye on your shofar and email so that when you're able, you can be with us as well. Looking forward to seeing you soon. In the year 1688, Swiss doctor Johannes Hofer published his dissertation on a disease that previously had no name. The disease in question was one that affected those far from their native land often young people sent to foreign territory. Sufferers would lose touch with reality, becoming obsessed with returning to their homeland. This disease would often start with hearing the voice of a loved one in a dream. Possessed by longing for home, even the smallest sensations could incapacitate someone. Smells, sounds, tastes, touch. Scottish soldiers, hearing bagpipes, would be overcome to the point that their superiors had to prohibit playing, singing, or even whistling native tunes. For the Swiss, rustic soup and alpine folk melodies had a similar effect. And as author Svetlana Boim put it, this disease of an afflicted imagination incapacitated the body. On its route from the mind to the body, it could cause anything from nausea to high fever to cardiac arrest. So consumed by longing, sufferers would stop eating and drinking and waste away. Hoffer was the first to name this disease, creating a pseudo-Greek word, supposedly meaning the ache to come home. He called it nostalgia. Now... For Hoffer and his medical colleagues, the cure for nostalgia could simply be a matter of judicious application of leeches or opium, or simply to return the patient home. But our Jewish tradition sometimes presents us with a kind of nostalgia that requires a little more thought and a more complicated sort of treatment. Tomorrow night, the Jewish calendar marks Tisha B'Av, Tisha, the ninth day of the summer month of Av, a day of fasting and mourning. Often neglected in reform circles, and also because it's a summer holiday and everyone's on vacation, Tisha B'Av marks the destruction of the first temple in 586 BCE by the Babylonians, and on the very same day, the second temple in 70 CE by the Romans. And for our ancestors, this was about more than just someone demolishing a building twice. The temple was, in its time, central to Jewish life, the only place where the priests could offer sacrifices as intermediaries between the people of Israel and their God. 
Imagine the despair, the uncertainty, the longing for something that no longer existed. We know that the destruction would open the way to the rise of the synagogue as a center for Jewish worship and prayer as a replacement for sacrifice. But Tisha B'Av, at its core, is a nostalgic holiday. The mourning is not only for the two destroyed temples, but also for the world that we knew which was destroyed along with them. Boehm writes that this kind of nostalgia is a mourning for the impossibility of mythic return, for the loss of an enchanted world with clear borders and values, for a home that is both spiritual and physical. Like Hoffer's nostalgia suffers, on Tisha B'Av, Jewish people across the world neglect their bodies, fasting and sitting in the on the floor in discomfort, longing for a world that cannot be rebuilt. And it is from this sense of collective nostalgia that we find a troubling idea that I, as a Reformed Jew in the 21st century, find strange and upsetting. And my guess is I won't be alone. Yeridat Hadorot, that is, the decline of the generations, is a belief, rabbinic in origin, that suggests that the further we move in time from the revelation at Sinai and from the eras where the temple stood, the more our people are diminished. We decline in wisdom and in commitment to study of Torah. We become more corrupt and thoughtless. The people who came before us were better, and the people who come after us will be worse. As we read in the Babylonian Talmud, Rabbi Zera said that Rava Bar Zemuna said, if the early generations are characterized as sons of angels, we are the sons of men. And if the early generations are characterized as sons of men, we are akin to donkeys. And I do not mean that we are akin to either the donkey of Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa or the donkey of Rabbi Pinhas ben Yair, who are both extraordinarily intelligent donkeys. Rather, we are akin to other typical donkeys. Okay? So, as hard as it is, we need to put aside the hyper-intelligent donkeys for one second and take a look at this. The practical implications for the decline of the generations tend to play out in the Orthodox world more than they do at Congregation Shari Tzedek. Um, they, it tends to function as an argument against overturning any earlier ruling in Jewish law. The rabbis who came before clearly had more Torah wisdom than any of us. Who are we to contradict them? Therefore, the law must stay exactly the same. This idea becomes a bulwark against change, perhaps a natural and understandable reaction to the moments of catastrophic change that have shaped Jewish history. Now, I do want to inject a little bit of nuance here and point out that rabbinic thinking is far from systematic, and there are opinions that seem to offer alternative viewpoints. It is entirely possible that each generation of rabbis did not quite view their world as inferior to what came before. But from the perspective of later scholars reading the rabbis, um, they saw that that was what the rabbis believed. 
and the concept of generational decline persisted. So as I said, I struggle with Yeri Dat Hadorot, the decline of the generations. If the world can only get worse, if we can only get more cruel and stupid, if everything good is destined to shrivel up and ultimately disappear, why should we try to make anything better? According to this philosophy, we've gotten so far from our Torah's teachings that we can only rely on the teachings of our ancestors rather than coming up with anything new. This to me feels like a dangerous ideology. Complete surrender to the past halts our movement forward. And as we know, Judaism needs to evolve and grow to meet the needs of the times in which Jews live. And yet, we find a cure to this rabbinic nostalgia from one of the greatest minds in Jewish history, Maimonides, the Jewish scholar, philosopher, and physician of medieval Cairo. His counterpoint lies hidden in a chapter he wrote about the coming of the Messianic Age. According to the decline of the generations, none of us could possibly be worthy enough to bring about the coming of the Messiah. We're just not good enough. Which means that a complete transformation of the world for the better would require God's direct intervention. And yet, Maimonides offers a very human take on the situation. For him, the world will gradually get better through our wisdom and compassion as we, in each generation, work to build the just society that God wants for us. And he writes, In that era there will be neither famine nor war, neither jealousy nor strife. Blessings will be abundant, comforts within the reach of all. The one preoccupation of the whole world will be to know Adonai. Hence, Israelites will be very wise. They will know the things that are now concealed and will attain an understanding of their creator to the utmost capacity of the human mind, as it is written, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Adonai as the waters cover the sea. And what does this imply? If we work for it, we can someday have the wisdom to build the kind of world that our ancestors could not. Maimonides was a scientist, even if that term didn't exist in his time. And he understood that by observing the world, we could learn and create in ways that the rabbis would never think possible. Think of antibiotics, right? Clean energy, the technology we use to share our Jewish communal experiences with others, regardless of geographic boundaries. Maimonides understood that the next generation can build on the innovations of the people that came before. The Torah is our foundation, but those who interpreted it through the following centuries built it into something that can guide us in any moment in history. We, too, have built on that foundation, and what we have built will serve as a foundation for those who come after us. Now, this same progress also brought us climate change and widespread misinformation on social media, things that we're still working on. So there's that. But when we try to innovate, to change the way things were to the way that things could be, we are undoubtedly going to make mistakes. 
our ancestors made theirs too. You can only progress once you acknowledge that you are not perfect and that the world you live in is not perfect. One of the greatest gifts that Reform Judaism has given to our people is the belief in human progress and religious evolution. This is what gave rise to egalitarianism. Those of us here in the room, look, all of us, men, women, gender non-conforming people, all sit together at our services, and we are richer for it. This is the central tenet behind tikkun olam, our mission to transform the world, to meet the needs of all people. If we believed that the world could only get worse, social action would just be wasted effort. So, to get back to nostalgia, I'm not saying that nostalgia or any veneration of the past are inherently harmful. I'm sure during quarantine, a lot of us listened to the music that we loved when we were growing up, binge-watched shows on Netflix that bring us a great deal of comfort. I think I rewatched The Office a couple times. There can be something nourishing about revisiting past experiences. And from a Jewish perspective, our modern and postmodern approaches to Judaism are rooted in our past. We are obligated to engage with it so that we can move in directions that, while new, are consistent with the core values of our faith. But if we merely resign ourselves to decline over time, we give up on the dynamic change and adaptation that Judaism has been committed to throughout the ages. We cannot trap ourselves in a prison of longing for a mythical past without forfeiting the good we can do in the future. Many nowadays are afflicted with nostalgia, myself included sometimes. I pray that hope for the future is much more contagious. So, Tisha B'Av can teach us about our relationship with the past. But more importantly, it can remind us that we are not trapped there and that God's plan for us is one of growth, ingenuity, and the wisdom to see how where we can, the wisdom to see how where we were can and should lead us to what we are yet to become. Shabbat Shalom.